Let's go to the movies. Welcome to episode two. We're going to start getting into actual movie reviews now that we've kind of had our initial discussion about how everything is being released this year. And today's episode, I'm going to talk about Tenet with a special guest, and then I'm going to also talk about Soul. So we'll kind of take two different approaches, one movie that I actually ended up seeing in theaters versus one movie that I saw the day it premiered on streaming. And we will jump right in with Tenet. Starting with Tenet today, that movie came out ultimately in September. It was pushed several times. It currently holds a rating of 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, directed by Christopher Nolan, obviously. And hopefully you know some of the things he has done, most recently, Dunkirk. And the general plot of Tenet is uh, the main character finds himself working for an agency of some kind who is tasked to save the world from World War III type events. He deals with time inversion, which propels him forwards and backwards through time in order to stop this event from occurring. And we will discuss that now. I'd like to bring in my special guest for this episode, my husband, James. Hey, thanks for having me, Paula. Uh, First-time caller, long-time listener. Not a first-time caller. Yeah, thanks for having me. You were on last season. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot about that. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So, as I mentioned, this movie did get bumped around a lot. I think it was supposed to come out, like, May or something like that, initially. And then it got pushed to, like, July. And then it finally got released in September in an attempt to draw people back to the theaters, hoping that it would be such a big movie that it would do that. It was kind of, uh, kind of like a Hail Mary, I guess, trying to see if they could get the crowds back to the theater, even if in a socially distanced capacity. Um, We ended up seeing this movie in the theater, in a local theater in Atlanta. They were doing a 70 millimeter experience, so we saw it that way, and everything was socially distanced. I think there was maybe three other people in the whole theater, so it was pretty safe and pretty cool way to experience it, because we are huge Nolan fans. Uh, And then a little other back info. This actually was Christopher Nolan's biggest project to date with a budget of $200 million. So that was also kind of why they were pushing so hard to get it back into the theater, just to kind of offset that budget. Uh, It is his 11th film. And yeah, as I mentioned, it was kind of brought back as that relaunch of theaters. It currently to date has only made $362 million worldwide about $57 million in the United States. And they did keep it in the theater for a long time. I think it only just left in December, if I'm not mistaken. So they were kind of milking that for as long as they could. Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, I don't know as much as they were putting it, releasing it in theaters to try to recoup some of their expenses as much as uh, Christopher Nolan is very adamant about his films being released in the theater, being seen in the theater. Um, you know, he's still old school. He shoots on actual film. 
um, you know, not digital now. He shoots it on actual film. And uh, the theater we saw at the plaza, they had to bring in a special projector, the 70 millimeter projector, to actually show it. But it ultimately gives you a different experience than sitting at home and, and watching it on TV. And honestly, seeing Nolan movies in theaters in the past, um, especially Dunkirk, it's it's a lot more interesting and it's a lot more entertaining to actually see it in that setting than just sitting at home on the couch. Yeah, because he genuinely gives you a theater experience. Like they utilize the fact that you're going to see it that way, I feel like. And I think since this was one of the first movies we had seen in the theater in months, it was like, holy cow, like, this is insane. Like, the music and the sound and just the visual effects and everything was just, it felt so grand. Yeah. And, like, very large scale. and. Yeah, well, and I think that's what, um, you know, I think that's what a lot of times people miss when uh, they just wait for stuff to come out on demand or on streaming is you know they uh they miss that that true sound quality. I know some people have their surround sound systems and all that in their house, big sound bar, but um it's just it it hit it slaps different if you will in the theater. As the kids say. Yes. But I think Nolan is a good example of this whole um theater versus streaming conversation which we had on the re- previous episode, especially considering that he produce this under Warner Brothers which is kind of taking the charge and deciding how to handle releasing stuff right now so I still think a lot of it was driven by money from Warner Brothers perspective and then I think from Christopher Nolan's perspective his was more driven by like the theatrical experience so it's it's like a fine line to balance yeah well and you got to remember around that time in terms of uh, the Rona, things weren't quite as um, extreme. Yeah, at the time cases kinda, were kind of lower. Kind of calmed down a little. And it felt like we had kind of maybe rounded the corner for the fourth or fifth time, um, and so you know I, I think it was a good release. And just to be quite honest, I don't see why movie theaters aren't open. Right now. I mean, we did it. So we went and saw it at the plaza. It's a small local theater. But assigned seating, which is pretty normal for a lot of theaters these days, Regal, AMC, you know, especially the reclining seating, you you Mm -hmm. pick out your own seat. But then they had stuff marked off. You know, you can sit in different areas. And then what I liked was... Oh, and just to preface, like, the Plaza was not an assigned seating theater ever. They kind of created that so that they could try to reopen yeah and uh honestly what i thought was kind of cool about going there and i'm not sure if they're doing that at the other theaters but you know you didn't order at the concession stand you sat down and then they had like a qr code on the back of the seat in front of you and you scanned that and then you online ordered popcorn and drinks and then they brought it to you so you never had to leave go into the lobby yeah. Get popcorn or drinks or anything. They brought it to you, which and I thought was a that, nice experience. The people that brought it, like, had their mask. Maybe some of them had a shield on. So, yeah. They, and you could smell the antiseptic in that theater. <laughs> yeah, that was... I don't know. Uh, I'm, I don't know if they installed something different or what, but the couple of times that I took my mask off to take a sip of my Dr. Peppy, uh, 
you could smell it just smelled like clean fresh air like we were watching a movie on top of the rocky mountains <laughs> so i think theaters are doing a good job just like everywhere else they're doing the best they can to you know try to maintain their business and, and get people in um so on that note if you feel like seeing the movie in theater which there's like two out right now a handful yeah uh i definitely say go ahead and, and do it but um yeah, just be smart about it. Yeah, let's let's talk about the actual movie. I know that was just a factor of it that needed to be discussed. Yes, because that the experience these days of going. Right. I remember back in my day, we went to the theater for a nickel. Um. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I wrote down what tenant means because I didn't know what that word meant before seeing this movie. Oh, okay. Did you? Uh, vaguely, but give me the Webster's. Tenet means a principle or a belief, a main principle of a religion or a philosophy. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's what I was thinking. Yeah, so it kind of ties into, I guess, this organization's views and beliefs and yeah. trying to protect the world. and Because mm-hmm. yeah. that's like, in the movie, that's like the first, they, they tell him that that's like the only word he needs to know about mm-hmm. Because this whole time you kind of get this impression that he doesn't know who he's working for, really. Yeah. He's just kind of doing it. Right. Yeah. Which, honestly, as the audience watching this, I think for the most part of the movie, we have no idea what's going on and why he's doing it. Yeah, you're just doing kind it. of along for the ride. Yeah. Which, that's, that's kind of like Nolan's calling card is movies where for whatever two hours you're just sitting there being like okay what why did you just do that yeah you don't know what's going on um and uh that's what kind of makes it entertaining is it actually has got your brain working it's not uh oh yeah it's not a plot where you already in your back of your head's like okay i know how this is gonna wrap up it's not a hallmark movie if you will <laughs> you're not anticipating what's gonna happen because you don't actually know what's gonna happen yeah uh, it's great uh yeah, the movie starts off like that. You get dropped into this like battle scene or whatever is going like the attack, mm-hmm. and it's so fast paced, and you're just instantly trying to pick up on any kind of like clues or indicators of what is actually happening and what might carry on into the next scene. And also, you're trying to figure out like where you might be in the timeline because there's always something going on with the timeline. But that scene made me realize that I could literally just watch any standalone, like, action scene like that, that Christopher Nolan does, and be like, this is awesome. Like, I feel like I don't even need the plot. Yeah. Because it's just so entertaining and, like... Yeah. Like, visually appealing. Well, yeah, and I I think that's what kind of made this movie really stand out for me, because, honestly, I... I kind of have forgotten a lot of the gist of it, um, which we have it on DVD. Yes, and so we, are we need re-watch we it. need to rewatch it. But um, yeah, I think what really stood out for me watching it in theaters was the the visual effects. The special effects were really, really awesome. There was a a scene where uh, they were, I guess, blowing up a a building, and then like with the airplane. Yeah, and like the reversal of time. Oh, and... that was the other scene that I was going to bring up. Yeah. Okay, but I, the way they shot it and just like the yeah. rewinding and fast forward, it was, it was like, really cool. 
they literally like blew up a part of a building and like unblew up another part of the building. Yeah. Like all at the same time. So it was yeah. like this building explosion was happening forwards and backwards. Yeah. And it was like, what did I just see? <laughs> right. And it's something that you just you just gotta watch and probably watch a few times over and be like, Well, that was pretty pretty cool. And then yeah, like the the, the airplane scene was the other one that was just like whoa because that it was an actual airplane Mm, and mm -hmm. it was so large yeah and you were like at first like is this an actual plane and then you realize that it is Mm -hmm. and i was wearing a mask but under my mask my jaw was just dropped like the whole time yeah i was watching that scene uh and i did read that it was actually easier for them to do that with a real plane than to try to create it Mm, yeah that makes sense digitally yeah and you know that Christopher Nolan typically does try to go for more real CGI effects. You know, he doesn't actually try to, like, do CGI if he doesn't have to. Yeah. He tries to do, like, actual... Right. ...effects. Yeah. Like that spinning room in Inception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was as thinking. As an example. Yeah. So, yeah, that was just... That scene alone was like, well, uh, okay. Like, mm-hmm. I would pay to see that in a the theater just any day because it's so just visually appealing. yeah like mesmerizing yes <laughs> and then the music is great with how they tie that in which was not Hans Zimmer mm-hmm. in this movie because ironically he composed the music for like every other major movie in 2020 mm-hmm. which all ended up not really coming out <laughs> right so it's like you forgot he did yeah but I think um the music that they used had like a similar sound yeah, it it so was it still worked. There's always a like a, a feeling of um suspense with the scores and Christopher Nolan, you know, Dunkirk's got the the clock ticking. Um I think there's a little tinge of that in Tenet. Mm-hmm. Um so there's always just the, yeah, the score whether it be Hans Zimmer or who was who did Tenet. I would have to double check. Uh so Mo Chop Choppin, Frederick Choppin. James is gonna confirm that. <laughs> oh, I don't want to. Uh oh, it was Ludwig Goronson. Oh yeah. So I was close yeah. with Choppin. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. I, well, I guess he's probably German. Hans Zimmer's German. I recognize his name, so he's probably done something else notable. Uh. Well, let me see. All right. Uh, Creed, Venom. Oh, he worked on Black Panther. Yeah, he won a Grammy yeah. for Best Score Soundtrack. Yeah, so he's got that like action movie vibe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the that's those are some of the scenes that stick stuck out to me just based on the effects and yeah, yeah. It's it's worth it in itself to see that. Uh, the other thing I pointed out and I started picking up on was there was like a lot of duality represented throughout the film. Hmm. Like uh, that one scene towards the beginning where he's in the train yard and the one train's moving forward and the one train's moving backwards. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. was like like the instantaneous. Yeah. And at first you're like, oh, that's cool. But then I feel like eventually I was like, oh, it's like literally representing that that character is moving backwards and forwards yeah. through his timeline. Yeah. Um, that the scenes where it was like red and blue, like red on one side and blue on one side. Mm-hmm. Another just representing the different yeah. ways the time was moving. Yeah. 
So there was a lot of like the literal allusions to that mm-hmm. that I picked up on, which I thought was really well done. Yeah. And then just that backwards and forwards battle scene was yeah. kind of yeah. the pinnacle of that. Pretty, uh, the whole movie is pretty just trippy. Like Yeah, it makes your brain hurt. Yeah, because <laughs> you just really don't. Like I said, for two hours, you're trying to figure out what's going on. Are we moving forward? Are we moving backwards? Um, well, then you eventually realize that it's kind of like a loop, almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't do not do any hard drugs and watch this movie, kids. Don't do drugs, period. <laughs> Just stay clean, guys. Unless prescribed by your doctor. As I was saying... <laughs> You kind of eventually pick up on that the timeline is kind of working in this endless loop. And no matter what you do or what these characters do, things are going to play out Mm -hmm. as they always were going to play out. Yeah. Which was kind of like something that I felt kind of silly for not picking up on sooner when they were talking about uh, her husband's mistress. And then it ended up just being her. Mm-hmm. Like her future self or her past self talking about it, not realizing it was her. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I should have picked up on that by this point, you know? Yeah. And then you find out that uh, the main character is actually like, isn't he like leading this secret agency group? Isn't that what you kind of end up finding out? And uh, he, but he just doesn't realize he is. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, well, the, the spoilers I, are out the window. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that, but uh, once again, that's uh, that's the genius of Christopher Nolan, I guess. Some people interpret things a different way. but That was kind of how I took it. Was like He was kind of in charge without realizing the whole he time. was in Yeah, charge. okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Thinking about it, I kind of, yeah, I see that. Because Robert Pattinson's character at the end was like... You thought he was kind of in charge the whole time, and then in the movie it was like, oh, this is your show, or whatever. Yeah, and he's kind of like, I always had your back. Like, yeah. um, Well, that kind of segues to kind of some of the notes I had about the acting. It was decent. <laughs> that yeah. was what I put. Oh, well, cool. Great note <laughs> on that. Uh, it felt like they were trying to loop in a lot of the younger Hollywood actors into like a big blockbuster. There wasn't any huge like prominent people like there typically would be you know like leonardo dicaprio oh yeah the usual anyone like the that. usual suspects for a nolan film we're kind of not we're there. not there which but, but i mean that's that's fine oh, i know that's why i thought it was cool that it was kind of this huge scale blockbuster and they're trying to bring in like the next generation you don't think robert pattinson's a big name i thought he he's twilight man i thought he was great in it like he, he's twilight. he did really well he's uh, Nigel, what's his name? Ethan. I'm not sure what you're getting at. Billy, what's his character's name in Twilight? Edward. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, I knew it was something with an E. And then, um. <laughs> Nigel. Denzel Washington's son. What's John it? David yeah, Washington? Yeah, John David Washington. Oh, yeah, man. Denzel Washington's well, son. Hey, I that's only, his son. I only say that because some of the lines he delivered sounded like Denzel. Oh, yeah. He, sound, he sounds just like his and dad. We would kind of chuckle at great. times because we'd be like, wait, what? Yeah. It's, uh, he's, but he's a, he's a good actor in his own right. Yeah. You know? So it was just kind of cool, though, to see like this next generation of people in such a huge movie with such like an iconic director. Yeah. So it'd be I interesting to see cool. if maybe some of those characters, like... It's like the second generation of Marvel or something. Like, yeah. 
they start popping up in like the Nolan new movies. Yeah. X Men. Something like that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, those were kind of the major points that I had jotted down. Yeah. Obviously, overall, like I said, I'm biased towards Christopher Nolan, so I loved it. Yeah, I, I did too. Um, I'm wondering if, like you were saying earlier, just the fact that it was the first movie we've seen in theaters in, in months, if like maybe, uh, you know, that's what... We were just kind of like, like, wow! Oh my gosh, this is what a movie theater is like. Yeah. I'm eating popcorn with tons of butter on it. Um, but no, I thought it was entertaining. Like I said, it's always... Uh, Nolan always makes you think, which is great. Unless you don't like thinking, then it's bad. Then don't watch it. Yeah, then uh, go watch um, the Emoji Movie. <laughs> Something like that. Um, potential award nominations, because that's usually kind of how I wrap up. I mean, I'm sure. Reviews. I'm sure it'll get a nod for special effects. Editing. Editing. Cinematography. Sound. sound the, score. Yeah, usually he does really well with the technical categories. So. I think it's unfortunate that. It's probably going to get kind of really looked over just in general Mm -hmm. because it didn't have that theatrical lease. And it didn't seem like, I mean, we saw commercials for it and we were going to see it regardless. Um, But I feel like it missed that huge like buzz. Yeah. Like you didn't have some dork on CNN being like, oh my gosh, I saw it the other night and it was so good. Instead, it was just like, we're not going to the theater. Are you kidding me? Catch COVID there. So I feel like, unfortunately, it's going to be a Nolan movie that's going to just kind of get It might get l- looked over. If, it Maybe it will just get like one nomination when it actually deserves to have a few more. Yeah. yeah. Is it, um, I know it's on demand. Is it going to be on any streaming site? Probably HBO Max because it's Warner Brothers. Ah, uh, yes. So it might already be on already there. there. Yeah, okay. Um. So, yeah, we'll just have to see where that one falls because, I mean, it deserves all those technical awards. Yeah, but, you know, I felt like Dunkirk was really good. Did it win anything? I think it did. But I feel like it it missed the mark. Um, I'm pretty sure it did. I think it got a lot of technical. Inception should have won a lot of stuff. I don't know. I think it won, like, visual effects and stuff. I feel like like Christopher Nolan's too woke for the Oscars. I think... The technical things, he'll always get something technical, but he never really gets director or writing or anything like that. Yeah. Which is the darn shame. Yeah, but it is what it is. I mean, he's Ledger. Didn't he get a a posthumous Oscar for playing the Joker? Yeah. Okay. And Dark Knight was nominated for Best Picture that year. Who did? Wasn't it? I, I don't know. Or they ha- were going to, but they didn't, and then that's why they expanded the number know. of nominees. I I, I thought that was a great movie, but also... It is a great movie. You know, but yeah, uh, Tenant, uh, go, go see it, go rent it, <laughs> go to your local Blockbuster or Hollywood video, <laughs> and, and make it a Blockbuster night <laughs> with Tenant. But just remember to be kind, rewind. Yes, yes, be sure to do that. And turn it back in on time. No late fees. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank you, James, for joining me for the first half of this episode to discuss Tenet. Yeah, it was a real. It was a blast. Um, you know, we. I'm happy we got our schedules to work out together to where we could spend some time and and talk together. 
Likewise. Mm-hmm. I hope to speak with you again in the future. And you will be on our next episode. So stay tuned for that. Next, I'm going to talk about Soul, which was released on Christmas Day on Disney+. Plus. So it currently has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 96%. It was directed by Pete Docter and Kemp Powers. Pete Docter also directed Inside Out, Up, and Monsters, Inc. And Kemp Powers actually has never directed anything before. So this was kind of his first directorial debut alongside with Pete Docter. And the plot, if you haven't seen the movie just yet, is that it follows a middle school jazz teacher who finally gets his big break performing with a jazz quartet. But on the way to the practice or the performance, he nearly dies. And instead of going to the great beyond, as they call it in the movie, he goes to the great before where all of the new souls are preparing for Earth. While he's there, he meets 22 who doesn't want to go to Earth, and the two ultimately help each other learn what makes a life worth living. So going into this movie, I knew it would be good because it's Pixar and Disney. They never usually fail. But I honestly was blown away by how good it was. It was uh, way more heavy than I was expecting. I think I kind of had a loose understanding of the plot based on the trailers and I was kind of like, eh, that'll probably be solid, but I was surprised by how moving it was. It had a very different vibe for a Pixar movie. I kind of have been describing it to people as kind of like the intellectual level of Inside Out mixed with like the family moving aspect of Coco. So you get kind of both of those vibes with it. On that note, be prepared for that type of movie going into it. Uh, I think having jazz music as a main focal point of the movie was fantastic and very distinctive. The soundtrack was very different and really entertaining, and it sounded beautiful. It was animated really well, too. Like I think it was just very colorful, when he was kind of lost in the zone of the music and then the way that they animated New York City was so realistic. It was like they weren't trying to make it look super animated and kind of over the top. They were trying to like give you a true representation of the city. And so I thought that was really... Because of this insane animation, it was actually a movie that at one point I was like, man, this would have been awesome on a big screen, it probably would have really felt like you were kind of being taken away from everything and just kind of really in that world. So that was one aspect that I was kind of like, man, I wish I could have gone to the movie theater for that. But still just as mesmerizing on screen. Uh, So yeah, in general, though, I thought that it was kind of cool. It was like shedding a new perspective on how we view life. And I, uh, we kind of pointed out that it was especially poignant for adults kind of because you're kind of jaded and kind of hardened to different things going on in life. And I feel like this kind of attempted to like break that shell and show you what still really matters while you're still living this life. 
Uh, we found it kind of hard to grasp how a child would see this movie because of how much it felt like it hit us as grown-ups. So that was kind of something that I always try to look at with Pixar is kind of what angle are they taking for the kids versus what angle are they taking for the adults. And I feel like the character of 22 is probably what they put in more for the kids because it did represent someone who was a little more youthful about to fully live and take on that role. And that is kind of what a kid would be doing, you know, kind of getting ready for the rest of their life. I talked to my younger sister who is 11 and she liked the movie and made her cry. She didn't know why it made her cry exactly. And I think maybe that kind of played into just not having that age or experience, but still kind of hitting that note of humanity that they're trying to hit. So I definitely found that aspect to be pretty interesting. Um, They did, as always, throw in some jokes that were great, that kind of hit the adult humor a little more than it might have hit the kid humor. And one specifically that I thought was really solid was when 22 was showing all the ways that she tries to sabotage finding her spark and like messing with people and that making that joke about always causing the Knicks to lose was pretty hilarious to me. Uh, The montage scene of the main character's life I thought was beautifully done. And I actually found that to be one of the first parts that really made me cry without even realizing I was crying. It just kind of started happening. And I think it was just the way that the soundtrack went along with all of the imagery and like showing these moments that were significant to him. And kind of what made him who he was. So I thought that was really moving. And it kind of reminded me of the opening scene of Up where it's just this kind of little contained story, but you get so much from it. And I think that makes sense since it's Pete Doctor. He kind of seems like he has this way of kind of understanding how to do that really well. Uh, The other part that I thought was really moving was when 22 was finally going to Earth and Joe got his second chance. And it was kind of like, I guess, rewarding to see that they both learned how to be better and how to actually enjoy what life they were given and like the opportunity to live. So that was another part that kind of had me crying a little as I'm sitting on the couch on Christmas day. (laughs) Uh, We did notice that it did feel like it kind of had an abrupt ending, but then in thinking about it, I realized that was kind of the point because it wasn't really about what happened next. It was about showing that he was ready to embrace what was happening next. And you knew that because he had this experience and learned the significance and the importance of what makes a life, he wasn't going to take it for granted anymore. And he was going to just seize the opportunities and the moments that presented to themselves and not always trying to wish for something better or something more. So I think for an animated movie, especially a Pixar movie, that was definitely a different kind of way to end it because you don't really get kind of that happy bow. You don't really get to see where he goes. You don't really even get to see what happens to 22, but like you know that everything's going to be okay with them now. And 
an interesting question that was posed to me, I think by a friend at this point, I can't remember, even though Christmas was not that long ago, uh, was what is your spark? And that is something that's been kind of lingering in my brain since I watched this movie. And I don't know that I even fully have the answer for that because I thought that was a very unique way of them kind of portraying what makes a soul ready to become a person is finally finding their spark. And I think you can look at it a few ways of like, is your spark your passion or is your spark just like the unique thing that makes you, you? And to that rate, I don't even know if you technically should be able to give your own answer for that question because maybe someone else sees something in you more than you see it in yourself. But it definitely makes you think, and I always appreciate that with animated films because it kind of adds that depth to it. So, uh, yeah, this was definitely an excellent, excellent Pixar movie for sure. Uh, It will probably get some awards attention, best animated feature, most likely. Um, I would even gander best soundtrack, best score, like that realm, because uh, it was just so distinctive. And, of course, we will see where all of those nominations end up in probably about a month or so. But in the meantime, definitely check out Soul, which is streaming on Disney+. Plus. And allow yourself to consider what your spark is. So I'm actually going to be dropping this episode and then immediately dropping another episode because I kind of need to get caught up on some of my reviews before I delve into more of the films that have been coming out. So you'll get a double episode week and then probably try to do at least one episode a week following that. So on the next episode, you will hear about Wonder Woman 1984 and Hillbilly Elegy. And we will have a returning guest on to talk about Wonder Woman. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode and join me as we go to the movies.